Anyway, we're continuing on with this Armor of God series, and we started with the very first part, which was the belt, and or belt, what actually you could call uh, the girdle of truth. And this is where it comes from Ephesians 6, 13, 14. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. So it's the, actually the girdle of truth, not the bell of truth as we talked last week. So we're going to continue on with that. And I thought we'd get through today, but we're not. So we'll be on the truth again next week, actually, as it turns out. I don't really plan these things in advance, but I just feel very strongly there are some things um, that God wants me to say. And I want to say that as a preacher, I'm trying to preach what God's preaching to me first, understand, and then to you. Uh, and I'm also trying to figure out, you know, what direction he's moving us. And sometimes he lays something in my heart. And folks, I'm preaching about truth, you know, so this kind of covers a wide spectrum. And um, if, if, I'm, if I'm saying anything today that offends you, just let, let you know, I'm trying to say it truth and love. I don't have the love part, but I'm bringing the truth today. Uh, but before I get there, I want to point out armor is a metaphor. And, uh, you know, we kind of get caught up in the symbolism. This is what we call touch points. Uh, so, you know, it's a way that we can understand because this is a spiritual world we're talking about. And so uh, the teachers, starting with Jesus Christ, will use physical representation of it. And Jesus is very, very good at it. Paul's not quite as good, but almost as good as Jesus. And, you know, then from there it drops off because sometimes like I'll come up with a metaphor or something and it's not perfect, not like Jesus. Jesus, you can keep unwrapping and it's just so perfect. Uh, but like Jesus would say things like, uh, oh, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven's like? The kingdom of heaven's like a mustard seed. And, you know, another time we'll say, oh, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven's like? It's like, you know, birds of the field. It's like you keep changing around, but he's always just trying to give us touch points so we can say, oh, I know what a mustard seed is. Now I'm, I'm starting to understand that. And, and so that's what he's doing. And that's what Paul's doing here too. By the way, that's also what he's doing when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That's also what he's doing when he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. It's all just the Spirit. It's all just the Holy Spirit. And this is just different ways he's phrasing it so that we can kind of get an understanding of what's really going on here. I don't believe there's actually in the spirit world that I have armor on right now. You know, I'm the Spirit of truth. It's just he's saying the Holy Spirit gives us these things. These are attributes of God is what they are. But uh, spiritual battles are fought using the Holy Spirit, at least on our, on our part, because that's what we have. That's the greatest weapon we have. We can't win a spiritual battle. We have spirits, but we don't know what's going on in the spiritual world. And even if we could, we're fighting against foes that are a lot stronger than us. So our whole point is that we need to turn to the Holy Spirit and get God to fight our battles for us on, the, on that side. So um, when he's saying there, you know, we need to gird our loins with truth, the, the emphasis is that truth is the centerpiece, like we said, of everything, but it's also protection. You know, the, the, if you kind of follow the metaphor, it's a protection. And it's, uh, its job then is to protect us from what? Well, the truth's job is to protect you from falsehood. Kind of makes sense. That's what truth does. It protects you from falsehood. Later on in this series, we're going to get to the, the shield of faith, right? And the faith protects us from other things. So it's a little bit different, but the truth's job is to protect us from falsehood. Now, when, when God says, I'm going to protect you from falsehood, he means all falsehood, the falsehood that is trying to enter into our life as well as the falsehood that's already there. And this second part is what we're going to actually get to more next week. And that's kind of the uncomfortable part because some of that falsehood stuff that we, uh, we kind of believe, you know, and that's, that's a dangerous thing because when it becomes in, comes into you, the, the lie you tell yourself becomes the truth you tell to others and you believe it. You know, I have dealt with, and I've talked about this before, I've dealt with liars in my life and I've dealt with people who are deceived. Give me a liar any day. I'd much rather speak to a liar than one who's deceived. 
Because the liar, you catch him in a lie, you can shut him up. I know you're lying to me. Oh, they back off. They caught me, right? Uh, the person who's deceived, they don't think they're lying. They think what they're telling you is the truth. And they double down. You know, they get excited about it. They get emotional about it. They're, they completely believe the lie and they're deceived. And falsehood that's trying to enter in is trying to do that to you. The devil wants to deceive you. We're told that. Jesus said he's a deceiver and a liar. He's trying to deceive you. It's almost better for him to deceive you than anything else. If he can get you following a lie, he can take you off. And you'll think you're following God, but you're not. So he's always trying to get in there. And so in order to protect us against this, the God gives us a gift of the spirit that I think ties right into this girdle of truth or belt of truth. And that's uh, something that's often, often, often misquoted. Uh, it's, and I'll show you the verse here in 1 Corinthians 12 when Paul's laying out the gifts of the spirit. It says, the spirit gives to another miraculous powers. He's just talking about all the gifts he gives out. To another prophecy and to another the discernment of spirits. Now, I've often heard pastors misquote that. They'll call it the gift of discernment. There's no such thing as gift of discernment. It'd be cool if there were, but there isn't. You know, discernment's like, I don't know, Wonder Woman's lasso or something. You know, you could always tell when someone's lying to you. That'd be great if I had a gift of discernment. And some, I've heard Christians tell me, God, I have the gift of discernment. And I could tell when people are lying to me. I was like, okay, you're lying to me because there's no such thing as a gift of discernment. It's the discernment of spirits. Now, the gift of discernment of spirits sounds kind of silly. You know, what's the point? There's only two spirits, right? We got God and we've got the other guy. And so if it's not God, it's the other guy. But actually the gift of discernment of spirits is one of the least sought after and least utilized gifts, I think, in Christianity today in America anyway. And the best way I could point out to why it's so important is, do you remember that scene from, um, uh, I, I assume you guys all see the same movies I do. Uh, do you remember the scene for the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the very last one where they open up the, uh, open up the ark and this happens? why we need discernment of spirit in our life because not everything comes to you looks good it looks beautiful at first but it's not everything that comes to you that looks good is from god and we have to understand that this this discernment of spirits they didn't need that there because the spirit revealed itself but the discernment of spirits is allow us to know whether it's coming at me right now is god or if it's not and we can't always know by looking at it with physical eyes and the reason is because we have a tendency to believe that anything that we want that we get is a blessing from God. But that's not the definition of blessing. <laughs> it's not true that just because I got what I wanted means this came from God. But that's how we usually look at things. We look at things like, well, this is come from, you know, hashtag bless, I got what I wanted. A lot of times we get things we want that we shouldn't have gotten. And it actually causes problems in our life, but we look at it as a blessing. And that's a problem because we thought it came from God. And then later on when it turns out not to be the blessing we thought, guess who we blame for it? Well, we blame God. We saw Adam do that with Eve. You know, and now he actually gave her Eve, but when, when Eve gets deceived, what does Adam say? The woman you gave me made this happen. I, you know, it's not my fault. And we, we, want, to try to, we want to try to say, well, uh, you know, the good stuff came from God. The bad stuff comes from the devil. And so anything that's good in my mind, I can, I can take. In fact, James tells us this. He says, look, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What he's saying is God's, God's always given you a good thing and it's perfect. 
It's no good news, bad news. You know, it's not, oh, good news, God gave you a job. Bad news, you must move away from your family. You know, it's not good news, you know, God gave you a house. Bad news, it's full of mold. It's not a good news, bad news joke with God. He's saying when God gives you something, a blessing, it's just good. Now, there are a lot of things that come along in our lives which are neutral. And they can be used for good or for evil, right? So there's these, like, there's, there's three things. You've got God gives you a blessing, which is just good. You've got the devil just trying to deceive you. And then you've got this middle ground, which I'm going to spend most of my time talking about because I think that's where we get tripped up the most. Which is not the thing necessarily that's good or bad. It's the devil can use the thing against you. Falsehood comes in many, many forms. And we have to know that. We have to know that falsehood comes in many forms and the devil is always trying to deceive you. He, it, it's okay if he can just straight out attack you, but he's learned it's better to deceive you. Because if he could deceive you, he can only pull you away, he can probably pull away parts of your family, and he can get you gone for a very long time. And then when you come out of the deception, you get mad at God because you think it was God's fault, even though he was always trying to help you through the discernment of the spirits to know, that's not for me. Why are you chasing it? That's not for me. So it can come in the form of false teaching. We see this in 1 John. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out in the world. So we have to be careful, right? There's, there's false teaching out there, believe it or not. Um, check everything. You always test everything. False claims. Paul talks about this too, that some people like to make claims that aren't even true. And they use it in such a way to make you sound like they're, they're a better Christian than you are. And they're telling you stuff that isn't even true. And so we're saying, well, how come they have that and I don't? And he's talking about this here. I'm going to kind of jump down the middle. He says, look, these people that you're finding, they're, they're false apostles, they're workers who tell lies. They only pretend to be apostles of Christ. That comes as no surprise. Even Satan himself pretended to be an angel of light. So he said, you shouldn't be surprised that the people that the devil decides to use end up deceiving you. The devil deceives himself as an angel. And so it's really not any kind of a surprise. Then we also have these people who they didn't start out as false teachers, but they got deceived. And after a period of time, they become false teachers, right? They kind of, and I've, I've known, I personally, I've known these people, but like when I was younger, I'd listen to certain preachers. I thought, oh, this is great. Love this guy. Then I hear something he's preaching lately. Whoa, where'd that come from? You know, somewhere in that line, he fell for a deception and he just got twisted around. And you think, well, how can that happen? Doesn't God protect his pulpit and his preachers? <laughs> Boy, I wish. You know, I wish, but it's still up to us. We still make decisions. And when we start making decisions and we start believing falsehood, that's why this is really important that you understand that the devil's trying to deceive you and you have to be on guard against it. If you do follow on to that, God will try to bring you back through the Holy Spirit. But if you keep turning it away, something happens that Paul refers to as a searing of the conscience. The Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith. They were in the faith, but they're going to depart, giving heed to, watch this, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Boy, that's what they're following. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with hot iron. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a burn, right? And when you burn it, it actually comes back usually with, with more tender skin. But if it's really badly burned, it's scarred. It's seared. And then you've got no feeling there at all. And what Paul's saying is some people have just really, they're so determined to be deceived because they want to believe the deception that they allow themselves to let their conscience be seared against the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can't even reach them anymore. It, you know, it's reaching out to them. And it, it's it's a, a dead spot to them. 
They can't even feel the spirit. So we have to understand that the devil can take anything of this earth and use it against you. He can't use something that's spiritual from God, but anything on this earth he can use against you, especially those things that you consider blessings. I'm warning you here because Christians don't get concerned about blessings in their life. Who would be concerned about a blessing? Give me all the blessings you want, God. I can handle it. Come on, bring them, bring them. I'm good with that. Do you know when Christians really get on their knees and start praying? Tribulation. Oh boy, that, that we have our eye on. When something bad happens in our lives or we see something bad happening to our kids or in our marriage or something, boy, we're on that, you know, like a chicken on a Juden bug, as my mom used to say. We're on that. If, there, if there's anything happening there, we know, tribulation, we know. And we'll come to church and we'll ask for help and we'll call people and we'll send out messages, pray for me. I mean, this tri- time of tribulation, do we ever ask to be prayed for we're in the middle of blessings? No, not at all. And the problem is in Hebrews, Paul comes back and says, look, this solid teaching, he's actually using food as a reference here if you look it up. This solid teaching is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You can't move on as a Christian you know, some of the things we would like to see happen in our lives, Christian, pray for the sick and see them healed. You want to you know, cast out demons. Some people want to get involved in that, whatever. I want my name known in hell, whatever your idea of this is. Anything you think, well, I want to do this in my life. I, I really want to get there. You, you can't. You can't. It's for mature Christians. And if we can't get past this point of anything that I like came from God, anything I don't like came from the devil, that's a real simplistic theology that's actually incorrect. But if we can't get past it, we're like babes, he says. You're still suckling milk. You can't get to solid food. You can't move on to that at all. We see uh, one other thing that I would say that, that happens as far as falsehoods is we put our trust in people. Now, I know some of you have been betrayed by people in your lives, and you know how dangerous that is. But sometimes we're looking for just a better person we can put our trust in. You know, well, that didn't work out. Let me find a better person I can put my trust in. And we find it all the time. We find it, you know, and we put them in celebrities, which is a really dumb place to put them. We put them in politicians, which is just as dumb. But we also put them in preachers, and we put them in institutions. And what happens is we put all of our trust in there, and then when they let us down, you know, we think it's God. Psalm says something interesting. It says, I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes. Now, that would be everybody for him, right? He's like putting celebrities and rich people, and powerful people, and uh, royalty, and governors, all in one word, all in one word, they're princes. The people who are in charge of this world, don't trust them, he says. Do not put your trust in them, in mortal men, in whom there is no salvation. They will not be able to help you. That prince's spirit departs and returns to earth the very day his, th- his thoughts will perish. What he's saying is, the moment that guy hits the ground, even if he loved you and looked after you, he's gone. His thoughts are gone. They can't help you. They're mortal. If you're putting your trust in men, men's institutions, the government, the media, the anything you want, whatever you're putting it in besides God, it's a false teaching. It's giving you a false sense of security, and the devil is just pulling you away from where you should be putting your truth. See, <clears throat> we've been in business now for a little while, Spirit Chapel, and I've talked to a lot of people. I've prayed with a lot of people. You know, we, we pray for everybody. As I've said, we pray for Democrats and Republicans, even independents. We'll pray for anybody. Anybody who, has, who comes here and you know, has a need, we pray for them. And I've had a lot of people tell me of this horrible thing happening in their lives. Can you please? And we pray. We pray for them. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, for every Christian who has lost their faith because of tribulation, 
10,000 have lost their faith due to success. Success is much more likely to pull you away from God than tribulation. My wife right now is suffering with poison sumac, and she's a pretty righteous woman. She's become much more righteous since Thursday night. She's crying out to God constantly right now. When tribulation hits our, hits our life, we get tucked into God. Boy, it's when things are going well that we have problems. And that's really, really weird. In, because you would think that we, when things are going well, we'd be closer to God, but we're actually farthest from God when things are going well. There's this wonderful Proverbs, Proverbs 30. It says this, there's two things I ask of you, God. Don't refuse this, please, before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, I want you to show that couplet because he's actually comparing those things. Deception and lies, poverty and riches. Poverty is deception, riches are lies. You know, see what he's doing there? He's actually, he's actually comparing those. He said, these are poverty and riches are nothing but deception and lies. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. Give me the food that is my portion, which is just as much as I need. Give me this day my daily bread. That's what he's saying. So I will be, not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Also, that I may not want and steal, so profane the name of God. What he's saying is this. Give me just enough. If you give me too much, I'll say, I don't need God. I'm good. I'll call you if I need you, God. If I'm too poor, though, I'm hungry. I might do something sinful. So give me that sweet thing there, that daily bread so that I don't fall either way. This is an interesting prayer because he's actually praying away blessings and he's praying away poverty, both in it. Um, but here, I honestly believe that we need to pray as diligently that God protects us in the midst of blessings as we do that he protects us in the midst of trials. We don't. I have yet to have anybody come up to me and say, Pastor, something really great happened in my life. Would you pray for me? <laughs> That's not a prayer I get asked for. It just like, doesn't occur to anybody. Uh, even though we should, and we should know because the devil's always out there. Be sober spirit, Peter tells us. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for somebody to devour. Now, you're in a spiritual war. That's what we're talking about. And we're big on that here. I remember when we first started out, all my sermons were about the way of the sword and, then, and this, this battle, battle ready. I mean, all these sermons, you know, about this. And I have a friend who's a preacher. He was noticing on Facebook all the sermons. He says, you guys ever talk about love over there? You're always fighting over at Spirit Chapel. But it's just like it's, it's been drilled in me because I have lost so many battles along the way, and I've seen what happens. And so like, we're in this war, we're in this war. But even though I know we're in a war, and I believe it really fully, not everything that happens is because of the devil, and not everything that happens is because of God. You know, there is this life that goes on, and it's kind of neutral. But Everything is potential for spiritual battles. Does anybody know? I asked last night. No, I got it. Does anybody know where this is? Anybody want to take a guess? Anybody at all? Any guesses? No? This is Gettysburg. This is Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Now, what does that look like, though? Well, it's like a farmland. Do you know why? Because it was a farmland. If you've been up there, if you've gone up there and taken a look at it, and you've done the tour, uh, which is pretty cool to do, it was a farmland. That's all it was. You know why it turned into a battleground? A war was fought there. A battle was fought there. That's why. No one planned to fight that battle there. There aren't like battlegrounds that people meet at. It's like a you know, football field. They go, we're going to go battle the Baltimore Ravens there in Baltimore. No, it doesn't work that way in war. It's wherever the enemies come up against each other, they fight. It was nothing but farmland. It, it had one of the bloodiest battles in American history. For the longest time, it, more Americans died in that battle than any other battle. I think that's been surpassed now in World War II. But for the longest time... That was the number one, and it was bloody, and it was horrible, and it lasted for a while, and then when it was done, you know what happened to it? It turned back into farmland. Farmland's not evil. 
Farmlands, you know, there's a lot of farmlands that never became a battlefield. Farmland itself is neutral, but the same way that lands become famous battlefields, neutral physical events can become spiritual battlefields. And that's what happens. Our physical war, world becomes the landscape of spiritual battlefields. And that's why we have to be on guard. Because things that seem good, maybe, you know, it is good even, the devil can still use that against you. And when he decides to do that, guess what? You're in a battle, and that just became a battlefield. Now, to give you the illustration of this in, purpose, uh, in, in, in kind of the way this works, I'm going to tell you, start off by telling a little story about a guy, a car, a dog, and a guitar. And it's not as good a story, actually, as that kind of setup lets you believe. But on Friday night, um, I went to take a look at a guitar I was thinking about buying. And it was up in Peters Township. So I take my dog because... I take him everywhere, and he hops in, and we go, and off we go, and we drive up there. Now, as I'm leaving, I look down, and I see that my gas gauge is kind of low, somewhere below the quarter tank mark, right? And I know Peters Township's kind of out there. And so I thought, hmm, okay, and I, and I pulled it up on my maps. Google told me it was 19 miles away or 18 miles away. I thought, okay. And so then I pulled the computer in my car and said, how far can I go on what I have left, right? My computer tells me you can go 44 miles. Pfft, I'm good because even my math works there. I can get there and back less than 44 miles. I'm good. So I drive, you know, we drive all the way up there. We're in the middle of Peters Township, and then uh, we, we're turning around, we're coming back. We're just leaving, and my ding comes on my fuel tank thing. And like, it's telling me low fuel. But everybody knows you got some time, right? And so I'm driving, and I've just plotted my course, and I'm kind of in a good mood. And so I'm plotting my course to come back the scenic route, you know, the one that goes past the Empire Arabian Stables. It's just so beautiful. And the past Trax Farm. You guys have been out there. It's really pretty. But the problem with that is, like, no gas stations. I'm out in the middle of the country. And I'm weaving around these things, and I'm looking at my gas gauge, and I'm thinking, i got enough gas. Surely I've got enough gas. And I drive some more, and I start thinking, I've got a dog in a car with me. <laughs> he doesn't understand running out of gas, right? And I have this image of me trying to walk miles with with my dog in one hand and a gas can in another. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. That's a bad image for me. And I'm really, you know, I'm really kind of <laughs> out of luck if I run out of gas. My wife doesn't drive, you know, so I got nothing except a long walk with an angry dog, you know, <laughs> if, we, if this thing. So I th start thinking, well, maybe I should try to find some place to get gas, but I'm trying to think of a place and I can't think of any, right? Um, and so here, here I have something, by the way, that's very normal for me anyway and very natural. If you don't put enough gas in a car, it runs out. I don't know if you knew that, but that's not a, that's not a spiritual thing. That's just kind of how cars work, as it turns out. I've run, a, I've run out of gas before in cars. That's always how they work. It's just not enough gas, and you run out. It's not the devil came out at night and siphoned my tank. He didn't do that, right? It's not a spiritual thing at this point. It's just a thing. There's a lot of things that happen. And, you know, listen, sometimes life just sucks. You know, bad things happen. My wife got poison sumac. That's not necessarily a devil attack. It's just she's really allergic to poison sumac. Sometimes bad things just happen. This isn't spiritual, but it could be. What about if I'm not going home? What about if I'm heading to do a hospital visit and that person there is having depressive thoughts and is thinking of killing themselves? And what if God needs me to get there to make that visit? And what if the devil wants to use this opportunity to stop me from getting there? All of a sudden, something very, very normal has just become a spiritual battlefield. That's how it works. That's why we have to be careful about what we say. Well, this is good. It must be from God. I don't have to worry about it. No, we have to worry about everything. We have to be on the guard against the devil who takes good things and uses them against me. And just, 
I'm actually done with my story. There's really nothing much more to it. I'll just say this, two things, because people get mad at me when I don't finish stories. First of all, I did get gas. I found, uh, I actually found a, a gas station. I went on my way. I found a gas station. And two, just for Brian, I did get the guitar. Okay. So let me move on now to um, the thing. So the physical world becomes this landscape of spiritual battlefields, right? And so we have to understand that everything in our life, even the good stuff, can be used that way. And the devil prefers to do the good stuff because you're not looking. It's the easiest way to get into you. And I see it happen all the time. I've watched people have left this church, not because of bad things, but because of good things. In fact, for a while, it was kind of a dark joke at Victoria and me. If anybody ever came up and said, Pastor, I got great news. We knew they were leaving the church within a month. I mean, it was uncanny. How many times that people, hey, Pastor, I got great news. You know that job I've been praying for? I've got it. I finally got the job. That's really great. And psh, they're gone. You know, Pastor, I got great news. I finally met somebody and it's really working out, you know, they're gone. Bought a new house, pastor, that was number one, they're gone. It's just every time someone can say, I have something great to tell you, I'm like, oh boy, going to lose another one. Here we go. It always starts out with those words. No one ever comes to me and says, I got something really bad in my life and lose them. No, they're here because they got something bad in their life. They need God. But boy, when things go well, we're gone. And it's amazing how often this happens, that we look at good things and we say, okay, but I'm going to tell you something that I have seen take people away. And make some of you angry, maybe may surprise some of you. But I have watched these things used by the devil to ruin people's spiritual life. Cars, houses, jobs, husbands and wives, or boyfriends and girlfriends, I put them all together. Kids and grandkids. If I list the six biggest things that have taken people out of this church, those are them folks. I haven't seen anything else take people out. But I see that happen all the time. I see it happen more often than I can count. And the reason is because, well, this is a good thing, and the devil will use it to take you away. It really does. And people say, I don't know, man. You're, you're, like, you're kind of stomping on some toes here because what's wrong with family time? Nothing's wrong with family time. I had a, had a guy ask me, what do you have against baseball once? I, it was a, I was in a, we were actually, he wasn't a father or anything. It was a, he was a, a counseling. We were counseling premarital, you know, counseling we do before we marry them. And apparently he was uh, some kind of baseball player throughout high school and stuff. And, and I was talking about the things that we've seen take people away. And what do you have against baseball? I said, I've got nothing against baseball. I used to play baseball. But here's what my life has taught me. Being able to hit a hanging curveball will not save your marriage. It won't. Knowing the intricacies of the infield fly roll will not save your kids from destruction. It won't. But yet I watch people making that trade every week. Not just in this church, but in churches all across the country. They're making the trade right now. They're saying, you know what? Yeah, I know. God's important and all. But my grandkids are in town. We won't be in church. We're going to H2O Zone today. Or we're going to go to Kennywood. Or, you know, they'll tweet pictures from the pirate opener. Or, or, or the pirate game, not the opening usually on Sundays. Uh, but, you know, or, or, they're, or they're going to the Steeler game, which doesn't even start to 1 o'clock. But, you know, you've got to get there and, and, and tailgate and before the game. And that's a really good thing to show on your kids, you know, mom and dad getting drunk before the game on beer and, and brats. You know, that's a good thing. Go ahead and teach them that. And, and so I've watched this happen, you know, and, and they, they put them in there. And to be honest with you, I don't, I was thinking, I, thought, I don't know if there's ever been a time that I've seen somebody take that and fight back and win. And then I, I, was, uh, I was actually walking around thinking about that this, just, just yesterday, and it occurred to me one time in my life I saw that happen here, and that was Roberta Donnelly. Uh, shortly after they all started coming, 
uh, she comes up to me and said, hey, pastor, I want you to know we love coming to church. We're really enjoying our time here, but you're not going to see us for a few months. I said, oh, okay, what's going on? She says, well, we just signed Reagan up for T-ball, and we want you to know at his T-ball league, everything is exactly at 10 a.m. on Sunday. Practices, games, everything. When they gave us a schedule, it's 10 a.m. We won't be able to make it, but as soon as that's over, we'll be back. I said, okay, well, thank you for telling me, you know. And uh, they never left, you know, and it kind of put me in an awkward situation of saying, um, Roberta, a couple weeks later, why are you still here? You know, not that I'm not, you know, to leave. I'm just, I'm just curious. You told me you were leaving and you didn't, you didn't leave. What, what's going on? And she said, I decided Reagan can make new friends. We signed him up for a different league. That's the only time I can think of that someone said, you know what, this is just too important to me. I'm not going to do that. And, and yet, we always will blame God and blame the church when our kids go to college and lose their faith. Well, why would you be surprised by that? You've spent their whole life telling them that God's not important. Anything else that comes up on a Sunday is more important. Soccer, baseball, hockey, going to games, going to parks, going to amusement parks, you know? Let's, let's go do that. Let's do it and let us, let's post it with a hashtag blessed, because that covers it. And we'll tell everybody, these, by the way, these are nobody in our church. Stop looking. I went on, I went and picked up images of people I don't know. I have no idea who these people are. But we'll, we'll do that and like, okay, because now that's okay, because look how blessed we are. Uh, and and that, that's fine, you know? And, and I was thinking, you know, this is nuts. And I thought, maybe I've got it all wrong. You know, maybe I'm the wrong. May, on second thought, go ahead. Go do it. That makes a lot of sense. But make sure you take pictures because t- pictures will give you two things. First of all, you get to post on Facebook and make all your friends jealous, which is really honestly what a lot of this is for. Don't put the pictures where the kids are crying. Let them think everything was great the whole time, right? There's wonderful experience there. Just do that. That's a great thing. But don't stop there. If you're going to go this far, go the next part. Make memories out of them. Man, you can make CDs. You can make this. Print them out. You know, put them on CDs. Make that something that you can have. Take that book and put it on a special place on your, on your little you know, special place in the living room. So you have that. Have that because one day that is all you're going to have left of that happy family after the devil comes through and ravishes it. And your kids are divorced and remarried and divorced again. And your grandkids are on drugs or alcohol or just mad at life because the devil has had his way with this. So you'll need those pictures. That's all you'll have left because you taught your kids and you taught your grandkids that God just isn't that important. Shuffle him aside. Jesus actually puts it this way. You know what? You can't serve two masters. You either serve me or you don't. It's real simple. How, how, how do I know if, if I'm your master? I'm first. That's it. That's the number one commandment, right? Put no other God before me. Every time we put something else in front of him, you know, we put our own pursuit of happiness in front of God. We're actually taking him off the throne saying, you're second. And he's saying, no, no, that's not the way this goes. I'm either your savior or I'm not. And here's the thing. If you do that, if you go make these memories and you have all these great times and then the devil ravishes your family, just do me a favor. Don't you dare ask God where he was when your family got ravished. Don't you dare. Because the shepherd cannot protect the sheep who are not in his pasture. You taught them to go away and go away and go away and they never came back. It's not God's fault. He didn't make those decisions. 
we have to understand that the devil is always looking for opportunities to come into our lives. And this is a falsehood that we believe. We actually believe, you know, we don't need discernment of spirits. You know why? We got discernment of emotions. I know when I'm happy. And that's what I want. I want to know when I'm happy. Make me happy. That's all I care about. Those are the blessed things in my life, when I'm happy. You know, some of the greatest blessings I've had in my life have actually been the tribulations I've gone through. You know, because it taught me that God's there even when I haven't been faithful. Some of the greatest things I've gone through in life have been these tribulations. I told a story last week about how my life started out. That was a huge tribulation. But it's a blessing I look back on because I know God loves me because of that tribulation. We just look and we say, well, I'll, just tr- I'll trust my feelings in this one. It feels right. I feel happy. It must be from God. Listen, the devil is really good at deceiving us. In Philippians, Paul says this, look further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, for it is we who serve God by His Spirit who boast in Christ Jesus. We don't put any confidence in anything going on in the flesh. He said, I myself, you know, I actually have reasons for that. If someone else thinks they have a reason to put confidence in the flesh, you need to know me more. He was perfect. He said, I have everything. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was the perfect time to be circumcised, according to Jewish law. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to law, I was a Pharisee, which means he kept the law perfectly. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. There was nobody who stood better. And by the way, a Pharisee was rich. He was rich and he had respect. He said, I had everything. I had everything. But whatever I previously considered gains, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, for whose sake I lost everything. But you know what? I consider that garbage that I may gain Christ. See, here's why we need the discernment of spirits in our lives, and we should be praying heavily for it, because this discernment of emotions hasn't worked out so well for us. Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that you will reach into our lives.